yes, who's up for round? Hold on a minute. Five. That's it. Yeah. Fifth season doing this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this first Red Voices podcast of the 2019-20 season. My name is ever is you and Leonard. I am joined as ever by the wonderful Richard Can. And it's time to start this next season off with a, a bang. Is that the appropriate noise we should be making at this stage, Rich? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's a bang. It could be like a mildly appreciative and, and, and excited whimper. Okay. That would be a good ah, start. How about that? Yeah, that was good. Oh, that I was worried was... that was too sexual. Well, you know, you're a sensual person, Ewan. I mean, this is very true. I mean, you know, you know this about me. I think I feel like the listeners know this about me as well. We're really pushing that explicit rating on iTunes at the minute, really, aren't we? <laughs> Mate, how has your summer been? Yeah, it's not been too bad. I haven't actually been on holiday yet, so it doesn't feel like it started properly. No, no, but me neither. Give weeks time, and then I'm, then we're away. So, well, you have to. And then I can come when I come back, and hopefully United have made loads of signings, and the preseason tour will go like a dream, and we'll start the season really well, and, and everything will be fine in the world. I mean, what do you even want me to say to that? There's no point even trying to suggest that that might not actually occur. Where are you going anyway? I was trying. To, I was trying to diversify the uh, the podcast into into fiction. Oh, I um, see. All right, I get it. Yeah, no, we're we're off to Bulgaria. Nice. Which, well, it is, it is nice. It's extremely cost-effective as well, so <laughs> that's, that's good. Excellent. My uh, break does not come until the end of September um, and to Dubrovnik, uh, partially down to Ooh. your recommendation, which should be lovely. I'm very I, much I, looking forward to that. So what, what have you been doing with, with no United games to watch since uh, mid-May? It's been quite nice. It was quite nice having a few weeks off. We've had we've had a women's World Cup. We've had the under twenty ones. We had England failing miserably in the Nations League. It was just quite it's been quite nice watching some football and sport that doesn't involve disappointment and United. Well, unless you're English. Well, yeah, but we don't we don't expect too much of of England. Failure is failure is accepted, whereas it's still failure hasn't become entirely acceptable for United yet. I mean, well, I guess that's a discussion for another time. But yeah, I guess mm. watching England last night, and we'll come back to the Women's World Cup in a bit, the exit to uh, the States last night was perhaps the most England thing ever. You know, a very, very tight game, a very gallant exit from the uh, the semi-final stage, having missed a penalty. That script has been used a lot. Yeah, I think we were unfortunate that um, we, drew, we drew the best team in the tournament, probably by a considerable margin in the in the semi-final but I mean, I've watched, I've watched all the England games all the way through, and I, I can't. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a great aficionado of women's football to this point. But, but actually, really enjoyed them, and I've been quite surprised by, by how much the standard has improved since the last time I, I really watched any women's international football. Mm. But the one thing that was notable, notable about England all the way through was they, they, they seemed very defensively shaky, um, and it was really only uh, because other countries didn't take advantage of that that, that England did as got as comfortably far as they did um but i think once you came up against the us who clearly have some absolutely world-class players and, and have goal threat from all over that those mistakes were going to be punished and even then it could have swung the other way if we'd scored that penalty but alas it wasn't to be and we yeah as you say we gallantly fell at the penultimate hurdle again with with someone crying yeah i know we've got some stupid third place playoff to watch Ah, but there we go. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the segue, I mean, I'll, you know I love a good segue. The one I'm going to use here is a team struggling to deal with a high press, which is much like the team we're going to be talking about for the next full season. Hey! So, I guess the the first place to start off with when it comes to United in terms of where we left things at the end of last season, the only place to start off with now is, when it comes to United, considering where we were two months ago, is players that have come in. So let's kick off with that. 
Daniel Jameson Swansea, uh, a pretty solid start, a player that will add a little bit of width to the occasion, and I guess someone who will. Well, you, you tell me your thoughts on Daniel James. Sod mine for the time being. I'll just pick. A, I'll just listen to yours and then add some depth to it. The extent of my analysis at the moment is going to be the fact that he runs very, very, very fast, um, very much faster than I've seen in a footballer for quite some time. United almost can't win this summer because you know if they try and try and sign a guy who they consider to have potential, then it's suggesting they don't have they can't get better players in or or more notable players in or if they spend a lot on somebody then it's you know they're then accused of overspending on players that aren't good enough i think it was an interesting start to the summer and it was obviously the easiest deal to do because he only has a year left in his contract and he's coming from Swansea and would have been desperate to join united i watched the two wales games that he that he played after the end of the season he was fairly quiet in both but then wales mm-hmm. wales weren't particularly good in either I just think he's a really interesting option because Solskjaer clearly favours playing with a high press and a counter-attacking style of football where possible. And United have been quite frustrating in in the last couple of years with, with their inability to, to counter-attack effectively and consistently. So even if James in this first season is an option off the bench when United are looking to counter, I think just his, his pace will add a dimension to our attack that we don't necessarily have particularly sort of later in games as to how good he is it's you might better tell me better than better than me because you'll have seen him for wales more than more than i have oh absolutely and i've seen him so play for wales so many times i've obviously got i've got a dossier full of information on it (laughs) (laughs) um i mean the aspect that i'm looking at that is most interesting to me is that obviously he's got the pace to burn and that's a great asset but I think it's partially the hunger. I think that's partially why Solskjaer went for him, right? It's the sense that he wants to start building a team around a group of players who will run, who will put the effort in, and who have the desire to play for the you know the quote-unquote shirt. And that's such a disgusting comment to make. But at the same time, I guess it'll be an interesting... It'll be interesting to see how he fits into the side and how it might make a couple other players who have been deemed to not run enough or not put enough effort into, how it might change their approach to the game. Because ultimately, if you've got someone like Daniel James who has got a certain level of skill, he can certainly improve, but is running very well and creating chances and giving opportunities to the players around him, how much is that going to make players nearby in those similar areas sit up and notice so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out and in particular you know when you think about Aaron Wan-Bissaka who was brought in for what was it 45 million quid and 5 million add-ons I mean I see some discussions about how I mean you know this this pulls in the, the whole broader chat about how United's business has been done this summer there's been a lot of discontent surrounding the club on social media particularly Twitter because that's basically all we look at all day every day because we're just you know addicted for some ridiculous reason yeah um when yeah. it comes to Juan Pesaka I mean you know people were complaining about how long it was taking but you know from my perspective you have you're paying an English premium for talent regardless of when it comes to paying for a Premier League player so the fee didn't surprise me whatsoever I think you know in terms of right back that that's a position that has been a problem since jeez since ferguson retired maybe i mean yes it's Raphael's elite season in fergie fergie's last year yeah i mean it, it's been an issue for some time it's been a problem position and it's meant that we haven't really been able to build serious attacks on the right hand side for so long meaning that essentially we either try and bash our way through the center of the pitch or try our luck with an ashley young cross on the left hand side and neither worked very well to my recollection last summer, although I have, sorry, last season, but I have blocked a lot of that out. So I could be wrong. 
But no, I mean, that could work out particularly well. I mean, Wan-Bissaka is not flush with experience, but he's got a year of Premier League football under his belt. He strikes me, considering the fee paid, as United's de facto starting right back now for the next several years. And that's what we should be working towards. I'm not suggesting that Ashley Young or Diego Dallo are not going to get any games, because surely the games that we spread around, it's going to be a very, very long season. And we've got the Europa League campaign to factor into the equation. But it just seems like a really positive move all around. You know, he's young, he's hungry, he's got PL experience. I mean, out of a transfer to bring in a potential right back, what more could you want? Could you maybe argue that the club could have looked at someone else? I mean, what are your feelings on the situation? I'm not against against Wampersack being signed. And I and I understand why we, we paid a pretty good fee for him. Because, you know, if, if he is able to keep developing in the way that he has in the last 12 to 18 months, really from nowhere, then, as you say, he could potentially be United's right back for a decade. I, I, I qualify with this with my only concern with our business to this point is that we have a team which is clearly lacking in in leadership and experience, I think, or, or effective experience. And I think Wan-Bissaka makes an awful lot of sense if we then go on and buy an experienced centre-back to play alongside him. There's obviously been a link to Tim Maguire this week and while he wouldn't be my first choice for United to buy, I can I can understand why that would work quite well. You know, he's a guy who's now got a, a decent amount of Premier League experience and, and also international experience. He's very much a run-through brick walls guy, you know, really sort of leading by example. And I could see that that would work very well on the right-hand side of that defence. It's difficult to, to judge the two transfers we've done so far until we know the, the context of the entire summer and what else we add to go with them because it's asking a lot to to sign a group of young players and we're talking about someone like uh, Sean Longstaff now as well from Newcastle if that's a genuine link it's an awful it's it's very difficult it's okay wanting young hungry players but young hungry players are also relatively inexperienced quite raw and naive and they need they need some real experience and quality alongside them so I'm entirely on board with getting Aaron Wan-Bissaka in and paying lots of money and I think he'll need to develop his attacking game beyond his already elite defending but I think in that in that regard he needs a bit he needs a leader next to him at centre back yeah I mean I guess as you mentioned there I mean is, is this our segue second segue of the evening on to transfer rumours then you mentioned Maguire already so I guess we just go head first into it with reckless abandon because that's typically how we roll in this podcast Okay, yeah, so more experience. I mean, Maguire of the targets that have been uh, suggested so far, I mean, in terms of uh, actual viable centre-back targets that have been discussed, there's been no mention of Alderweireld so far this summer, despite the fact that his uh, release clause has gone down to £25 million. Uh, Diop from West Ham has been mentioned, but everything that we've heard from that, and that was, what, 10 days ago or so, seems to be pointing to the fact that West Ham are in no mood to sell whatsoever, despite the price. So Harry Maguire, at the minute, seems like the most uh, logical target for United to go for. Now, there is something to consider in that, the sense that he does fit in partially to the mould that Solskjaer seems to be going for. He's not young because he's 26, and we've been calling Jesse Lingard young for years, considering he's the same age. Um, But he's got Premier League experience, he's got international experience, he's done pretty well at Leicester. You know, concerns have been raised to me via United run in terms of his actual mobility and how you know well he can actually control the ball and recover from mistakes, and that's not to be sniffed at. You know, those are very key things and things that our defenders are frequently not very good at doing. 
doing. So there's that concern to bring into the equation, considering that you're most likely going to be spending upwards of £80 million on this player. You know, Leicester uh, rejected that £70 million bid earlier on this week, seemingly, and lo- are looking for a fee to eclipse what Liverpool paid for Virgil van Dijk, what was it, sort of 18 months ago, which was £75 million. And, you know, in terms of the actual fee, I would suggest £80 million plus add-ons is probably going to do the job. But the equation sort of changes when you start thinking about, all right, that's a big sum of money for a player. Yes, you've got to add the English premium onto it, which changes the situation completely because, you know, you're adding potential value into how valuable he is for Leicester because Leicester don't necessarily have many hugely sellable assets. And when you've got the top two, sorry, when you've got the two Manchester clubs in the country potentially asking about your play, obviously the fee's going to go up. But regardless of that, the easy question for me is, is he going to improve our defence? I would say yes, because it's very easy to improve on where our defence was at last season. It was an absolute mess. And when it comes to improving what we've got, I would say Maguire seems like a logical choice in order to bring that forward. You know, if we want someone who is a leader, we're not going to suddenly find the next Vidic or Rio Ferdinand out of the middle of nowhere. And I think... Maguire makes the most sense in terms of targets that I've heard that, that I've seen United be linked to so far this summer in terms of adding reinforcements to centre-back. So in terms of going on to the next target, someone that we've heard a fair bit about over the last couple of weeks, but United seem very hesitant to actually make a bid for, despite the fact they seem very confident at getting him, Newcastle's Sean Longstaff. So how did you see him fitting into the equation? How easy do you think it's going to be to actually get a deal through? This has been a really weird one for me, because when those rumours first came up, they all seemed to be coming from Newcastle. And it felt like either Newcastle, which were trying to flush out some buyers for him so they could get some money in, or his agent was looking for another new contract and a pay rise for him. And and, and, and yet the, the rumours keep keep going and we keep seeing reports of the United bid being imminent. And it's been imminent for three or four weeks or longer. And I, you know, I still honestly don't know whether it's a genuine link or not. And it's 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 such a difficult one to judge because the guys played eight Premier League games in his life before he, he picked up that injury. And, you know, he he did pretty well in those in those eight games. Uh, prior to that, he'd only played at Blackpool and at um, Kilmarnock, I think. And if you look at these sort of underlying stats in those those few performances, it's clear that he's he's very hard-working, um, industrious player. He's extremely energetic, good at pressing. His passing hasn't seemed to be particularly exceptional to this point it's such a strange one because United seem to be focusing on these young hungry players but but he's not a guy that I would say is going to fit straight into United's team and actually make a great deal of difference to the immediate performances and and that's that's the concern that I have in that we've bought two young guys and we really need to buy some some players who are going to make a significant difference to results in the in the short term going forward as well now, if if he is one of two midfielders that we're going to that we're going to buy, and that seems to have been the line we've been we've been giving out for the last few weeks, then if you buy Longstar for twenty five million or whatever the quoted price has been, and then you you pay it for a, a premium international midfielder as well, then that makes a little bit more sense to me because I can I can see how you could tease another season worth of games out of out of Matic whilst also slowly integrating Longstaff and using Matomane and whatever else. If if it's him and nobody else then I'm absolutely baffled because that United midfield is a bomb site and it's short it's short on numbers, it's short on quality 
it's short on cohesion. It's just it, it's certainly the worst United midfield in terms of both talent and and in the way it fits together of my lifetime. I think, or of my of my football aware lifetime. If there's one area that, that United need to get their skates on and actually do something with, it's that it's there. Longstaff is fine if he's a project that we can slowly integrate alongside whatever else we've got planned for the midfield. If it's just Longstaff, then God knows what we're doing because that's potential carnage again. And I'm still not 100% sure it's even even a genuine thing because it just seems to be these these bids are imminent, things are imminent, but nothing ever happens with it. And it's, it would seem like a relatively easy transfer to do as well. If, you know, if he's available for the 20, 25 million that keeps being quoted then it shouldn't be a hard deal to do if he's really on board with, with coming. It just doesn't seem to be as easy as it's been suggested it should be. Well, things in fairly are, really, are they? I mean, I guess the, the thing that I've noted when it comes to Longstaff is that United have either been briefing or news has been released to the fact that they are interested or confident in getting him. And then within the hour, you hear reports from Newcastle or the Chronicle up there saying no bid's been made. So if if we're so confident at getting him, we want to get him so much. And the easy question is, why haven't we done it yet? I mean, I guess if, if the discussion really is about Solskjaer wanting players in prepared for tour and start our preseason games, then you would suggest that this would be an easy deal to make. I mean, you know, it's very easy to criticise the club as it is, and especially with the context of the last sort of five or six years or so. I'm not really sure what's going on with this one. And as you said there, I guess the situation is if it's just him coming in, especially considering that we've lost, you know, we haven't necessarily lost massively important parts of the puzzle when it comes to Fellaini and Herrera in the last sort of six, seven months. But we have lost two players and we can't suddenly expect the four players that we have currently in the shape of Matic, Fred, McTominay and Pogba to create a fully functioning midfield we do need to add reinforcements and I guess that leads nicely on to a player that we've been linked with daily for the last month to the point where it's actually been a drain on my life (laughs) Bruno Fernandes (laughs) good grief I mean god bless the Portuguese press you know I mean they just don't stop they have been going on this party line about his agent, who must be absolutely knackered by this point, the amount of times he's been travelling over to London to talk to teams about a deal. It's absolutely insane. I mean, in terms of what I can pick apart from discussing it with people and from the reports that the likes of Sport Witness and also The Telegraph, because James Duck has recently run with the same line that United have a legitimate interest in Bruno Fernandes, what seems to be happening is that Sporting Lisbon are essentially touting this player around knowing they can get a relatively good fee for it, seem to have slapped a arbitrary 70 million euro price tag on him and waited to see if anyone's going to bite. None of the English clubs seem to have gotten anywhere near that or even close to it. So they're looking at around 50, 55 million euros. And that sort of slowed things up because Sporting are trying to weed out a buyer with a bit more cash to offer them. Um, in terms of how that actually fits in for United... I've absolutely no idea. I can't make head nor tail of it because we've just seen so many reports suggesting that United are interested. This interest does not seem to have actually created anything concrete up to this date. And I know that there is some posturing that's going on, especially with transfers, and United's approach seems to have been seal one deal, move on to the next one. It took a little while to get Daniel James for over the line. Fair enough, there was something, you know, obviously his father passed away, so that had to be brought into the equation. Give the players some space, get the deal done, move on to wan you know, there were issues in terms of the price. Palace were quoting £70 million for him. United managed to get it down to 45 and 5 million add-ons, which, considering the original asking price, is a good result. Plus, Palace changed the deal in the last minute, which is why it was delayed by a day. 
you know, these things happen in football, just so we're clear, just until we all start getting pissed off about how long it takes to announce a f***ing player. Anyway, in terms of Bruno Fernandes, if the actual reason that we haven't gotten this player through the door at the moment is that we're trying to drive the price down, then, and we end up buying him for a reduced offer than what Sporting Lisbon were originally quoting for, then that's good news. It would be nicer to get him earlier on. But regardless, I mean... Sorry, this is just a complete mess on this one. I'm just, I want it to be over with Bruno Fernandes. It's not even that it's that engaging a transfer saga. It's just that it's just going on and on and on with the same news every single day. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I've got to the point in the transfer window at the moment where I've just almost completely switched off from it in terms of I'm aware it's happening. I'm aware that things are being written, but I don't have any expectation that anything is ever going to happen. So, so if it actually does, then that's a nice, a nice surprise. Well, as you said, the whole Fernandez saga, if that's what it is, is is he's he's more of an enigma than Sean Longstaff, isn't he? It's, United must be doing something with regards to midfielders behind the scenes, but but they're really, really uncertain as to what on earth that is. I've looked at Fernandez; it's, it's such a strange signing. It's one that he 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 doesn't obviously fit into a midfield three that also has Paul Pogba in it because you've got two incredibly offensive midfielders there and we're, we're already in a position where we lost a bit of tactical awareness in midfield. We didn't quite have the industry we should, we needed in midfield. To bring in another guy whose qualities are far more suited to, to creating and going forward, it kind of feels like we need, we'd need to buy the Terminator as a as a defensive midfielder to actually make that work <laughs> and I, I just can't help think well you don't think the money matches as well so it's well that. yeah he, he's a former Terminator with with a slightly dodgy battery now but there's something afoot with that midfield I, I don't know what's going I don't know whether we're saying that we're not going to sell Pogba and then we actually are and then we're going to suddenly throw all the money at an amazing new midfield or we are just quietly working on deals that nobody's really sure of that are just going to drop some point I've given up trying to predict anything now because I mean even even with the Maguire links yesterday you had clearly from United's end United a briefing we've bid 70 million pounds for the player and then John Percy of the Telegraph who's very very good on East Midlands football has has gone to Leicester and been told that they're absolutely baffled because United haven't made a bid since you know about six weeks ago and that was that was mm. ten million less than the reported bid now. So there are so many parties playing games. You know, with the, with the Fernandez one, you've clearly got <clears throat> Sporting desperately trying to shift their player and chucking rumours and lies into the into the press in the hope that someone will nibble. And obviously, Fernandez's agent is trying to get him a move. United are trying to possibly keep things quiet and, and on, on all of their moves. And it's just all it's all a complete shitstorm, really, isn't it? Of information and nobody has the slightest clue what is actually the reality. And you saw you saw with the Wan Bissaka transfer as well that you had two or three days before United actually signed him, you had journalists saying that Palace were absolutely apoplectic that United would wouldn't just pay up their seventy million they were demanding and that United were lowballing them and this was ridiculous and it just showed how useless United were in the market again. And then two days later you they've agreed a deal for forty five million plus five. It's all a bit ridiculous at the moment. It's just Chinese whispers from a million different places and I I think I've just come to the conclusion now. Well, welcome to the transfer window. Well, it is, but it, 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 it feels him as almost even worse than than before. Um, I don't know. Perhaps it, perhaps he hasn't. Perhaps I'm paying more attention this summer. But I, I'm just at the point now where I'm just think I'm just going to wait. And when, when when whenever happens, what happens, then we'll I'll really give it deep thought. But at the moment, I couldn't honestly tell you who on earth we're trying to sign. No, I mean I guess there's there's more scrutiny on it from United's 
side of it and especially there's more impatience from United fans when it comes to who we're actually trying to bring in and especially as you mentioned there because it I don't necessarily know if it's muddled because it's impossible to actually tell at the moment with any sort of complete certainty what United's overall strat well let me rephrase that at the moment after Wan-Bissaka and Daniel James we know those two deals are over the line it's difficult to say with any certainty that you can be sure who's going to come in next because at the minute we've got several deals that have have received significant media coverage but no real sense that a a bid has actually been made that will get us closer to signing them or b that they're actually going to be signing within the next couple of weeks to month so it's very very difficult to judge at the minute and I guess partially because of the way last season went and because of the current discontent within the fan base especially on Twitter anyway you know it's difficult to judge how actually far that goes it's very very easy to be upset about the situation I guess but I mean as far as I'm concerned you know that it's been good to get Aaron Wan-Bissaka through I think that'll help it right back instantly and the way that United seem to be going about things in the sense that they are bringing in players with an aim to building a slightly younger more capable and more hungry squad is a positive step. I'm not saying that we suddenly fixed everything in the signing of these two players because that would be absolutely ridiculous. Of course we haven't. And obviously there's going to be an element of, by the time we get to the end of the window, the players that we potentially let go because you know we'll come to that in a little while after we've covered the next section. But that obviously is going to be a large part of whether or not you decree this summer this very important summer especially for Solskjaer and especially for the club after finishing in the Europa League spot for what was it the fourth time in six years or so is actually going to be and a large part of that is down to that discontent that we mentioned with the Glazer protests so you know I've got my own thoughts on it and we'll come to those in a minute but you know it's been growing for the last several weeks how have you sort of judged the whole sort of scenario as it were where to start the one thing that we almost all agree on and that there are still strange types on the internet somewhere who who disagree but we all we all agree that the glazers are undesirable owners that have you know foisted a huge debt onto the club for the privilege of them buying it from us that has been a drain on the club in terms of servicing and paying the debt down and also the fact that they're taking out money themselves for director's fees and dividends and whatever else and and generally speaking, the Glazers have not been good for Manchester United. Um, and it's not just in, in financial terms. There's also been a drain of, of knowledge as well and expertise. And that's part of the reason why we are where we are now. The unfortunate thing about the Glazers is that they, from the very start, it's been very clear they've been in, in this for the long game. And they've also been, certainly till till now, extremely proficient at growing the commercial side of the business. To the point where you've got a club which they bought for about eight hundred and fifty million pounds, which is now worth in excess of three billion pounds, and that creates an issue in that there are only so many people, stroke bodies in the world that can afford to buy it, and even and and the the current investor return on on the club is so poor that it, don't, it wouldn't make sense as an investment, which leaves us with basically the chance. Essentially, we either have the Glazers or we likely get bought by a murderous Middle Eastern regime as a, a propaganda plaything. We're in a pretty difficult and tough spot at the moment. And it is understandable that people are very angry, and they, they, but they should have been ang- angry for a very long time. Where I have a problem with 
what's happened on social media now and, and I think I'm, I'm in broad agreement I, there, there was a very good piece written by Andy Mitten today um, I think it was mm. a 442 in which he said that what you're seeing on social media doesn't necessarily match in terms of action and ideas what you'd meet from fans who go to the game and whilst there's nothing in itself negative about a glazer out hashtag of itself it's harmless it's got absolutely no chance of achieving anything whatsoever you know the glazers don't care they probably haven't even noticed it's happened if you if you, if you think they got through the initial protests at the when the club was bought they got through green and gold which was a, a period of far 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 greater militancy particularly at games they don't care they don't care as long as the the money the, the club keeps making the money it does people have tried boycotting um, firms that sponsor United but really those firms aren't sponsoring United to get United fans as customers they're just to put it getting their brand out there for the wider football audience what has happened online is what often happens online which is that that initial message has morphed into firstly an exercise a grand exercise in virtue signaling by lots of people who will never see a game never who will have no have no intention of or no possibility of ever actually having any impact on on the club and we've all done it we've all i've all we've all done it online where we've we've rt'd something or we've promoted a message that someone else has put that we could do something else for but we just we we we, we retweet it and it makes us feel like we've done something but we haven't really we've done nothing but what it's morphed into is what it some these things often do which is a lot of people being very abusive to anybody who won't get entirely on board with the exact message they want you to put out at any given time. I've seen lots of nameless, faceless, yellow and green accounts barracking season ticket holders who who have said that they're not willing to give up their, their season tickets because it's something they've done for 20, 30, 40 years with their family. They don't think the Glazers are going anywhere anyway, and they don't, they're just not willing to give that up. And why should they, really? And it, and it's it's very easy for people on the internet, faceless people on the internet, to shout at these people and 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 say you're part of the problem. The, the club account did a tweet about about Andy Mitten's thousand mile Barcelona to Manchester ride for 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 the cancer charity, the the place that looked after his dad in his final months, and both the club and he got an enormous amount of abuse for that which is just absolutely unfathomable to me it's just absolutely embarrassing and so it's gone from something which could have been a nice a, a noble message quite a, ultimately quite a sterile message but a noble message and it's morphed into something where lots and lots of people on the internet who like to think they're doing something but are actually doing nothing abuse people who will not do exactly what they want them to do right when they want to do it and that is the reason why I've not used the Glazer Out hashtag. Noted fans in the kind of um, sphere that we inhabit on on Twitter have, have done have said the same because it's just it's just become an exercise in stupidity and it just got really annoying to me during the transfer window as well, where absolutely everything the club does is painted as stupid or inept or whatever. You know, the, the club has not been well run in the last few years. The club has done stupid things. The club has given contracts to players that it shouldn't have given them to. It's paid too much for other players it hasn't got the right players but it's not this issue where the club is either completely terrible at everything or completely or, or or is competent you can say that the club you know i thought i thought the first two signings we've made this summer have actually been quite a quite a decent start to the summer and i thought we handled the wambasaka transfer well because from what was being demanded to where we finished was actually quite a good 
a good process, I think, and we, we got to a fee that was quite reasonable. But in the process of me saying I think the club's done quite well there, you then just get swarmed by bunches of idiots who want to give you grief because you've said something positive about the club as if as if that makes you a Glazer apologist. And that's where, that's basically, I mean, you, you, you know, you talk about this as well, but that's where I'm at. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm sick of the whole thing because it's been taken over by absolute idiots, which everything on the internet is, I guess, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I want to stress in particular, because I know that we have a lot of listeners and also a lot of people that we talk to who are not located in England, who are not likely to get to a game in the near future and who aren't season ticket holders or official members. And at no point do I want to stress that I think it's a bad thing that they are protesting Glazer ownership. We all agree I think we're all pretty much on exactly the same page that we agree that the Glazer ownership has not been a fundamentally good thing for United. I'm not saying it's been completely negative because realistically we have made money from it and we have bought a lot of players and spent a lot of money and wasted a lot of money at the same time. But as an overall exercise, I could rather have done without it, quite frankly. Really could have done without it, yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. Having said that, the fundamental disconnect between... The awareness of how successful a campaign, like a social media campaign like this can be, and its actual relevancy and its effect is really quite strange. I don't really, it doesn't feel like there's an awareness of how effective this can actually be. Because from my perspective, if you want to generally affect change in the club, then it's a case of getting people like season ticket holders and official members, people who are essentially the face of the club's fan base on side, not getting at season ticket holders and also getting in touch with organisations like MUST, Must, and, you know, starting a dialogue with them and talking about where the situations are. Must have put out several statements, which I think are absolutely vital that every fan reads because Must aren't Glazer apologists. You know, they want, they have the best interests of the club at heart. And again, you know, we've seen in the last couple of weeks that United have changed the prices for tickets, which make it completely ridiculous in terms of actually applying for games now, in the sense that you've got to plan for every game and they release tickets in batches. When we're Mm. still in July, you know, we shouldn't Mm. be having to worry about a game in December if we're not planning to be able, or we don't even know if we can attend it at this stage. That's why people have official membership, because we don't know if we're able to commit to that sort of stuff. And it's ridiculous. But this is the thing for me. You have to have an awareness of how much a sort this sort of protest can actually have. And it is very, very simple to tweet a Glazers Out hashtag and reply to the club and let that discontent fester and start attacking other people when you think their ideals don't line up with your own. Realistically, the goal of almost every United fan I know would be long-term to try and get rid of the Glazers. Realistically, is that going to happen? Most likely not. You said there that the wealth of the club has increased so large to the point where there is a very, very small market for people or organisations or conglomerates or any sort of unity that can actually afford it right now. It's just not going to happen. And I'm not saying that that should stop us protesting, but I think we have to be realistic about what sort of change this can actually affect. And at the minute, it just seems to be discontent that has followed a very, very difficult season that none of us really enjoyed apart from those first nice three months at the start of the year, combined with failed attempts to land players like uh, Matthias Delicht, 
Yeah. And that did not go well. We all knew in our hearts that it wasn't necessarily going to be a goer because why would one of the best youngest centre-backs in the world sign for a club that just finished sixth in the Premier League when he could have his pick of almost any major club in the world that he wanted? Yeah. You know, that that was always going to be a, a tough one. But if people are using that as a stick to beat the club with and say this is a complete mishandling and mismanagement, then they really haven't been paying attention for the last several years. I think one of the important messages that, that Andy writes in his piece, and I think this is this is pertinent, is that the Glazers haven't changed how they're running United in the last few years. The Glazers have been running United that way almost from the start. Yep. Nothing has changed. And if you're protesting about the nature of the Glazer ownership, about the way they took ownership of the club, about the money that the club pays out, on a debt which it didn't ever need to have, then that's the message, that's the, the the motivation that we really should be using. And that was the motivation that the that the green and gold campaign we using in sort of t- uh, 2009, 2010, when United were still essentially a successful team. They still had a very good team, perhaps not quite the peak Cristiano Ronaldo team, but they still had a very good team. They were still winning titles. They were still getting to Champions League finals. That is when... The match-going fans particularly felt the strongest. That is the point when they laid it down and they protested when United were winning. Now, suddenly this has blown up on the internet at a time when United aren't winning, at a time when the team isn't as good, at a time when it's become more difficult to sign players. And it's very difficult to get away from the idea that this is a bit of a slapped-ass response. And as Andy says, you know, those match-going fans that people are barracking are the ones who were out there protesting visibly against the Glazers when United were good. And now you've suddenly got to a situation where United are no longer good and lots of people on the internet are having a big paddy about it. You can be sure if United went and signed three world-class players in the next two weeks, not everybody would pack it in by any means. But I, I think there's a very good chance that it would largely peter away. The point that he was making was that you've got all these, you've got tens of thousands of people tweeting a hashtag on the internet and screaming at everybody about how important their message is and how the Glazers have to go and how we have to do this and we're going to do that. And then when it actually comes to direct action, games and visible action, you know, the first attempt of it has been a failure. Now, we, it was a very hastily attempted effort. But the point still stands that it's very likely that there's going to be nothing like the level of protest and effort from those people who are shouting loudest at people now when it actually comes to match days and games and places where their message can actually make a difference. And I think that's the key message to what he was saying, and I very much agree with it, that those those match-going United fans, and you see, it's not... I don't want to create a schism between the idea of match day and 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 others fans because you know we're not we're not week week after week United fans these days, you know we don't get to as many games as we want to go to, and there are lots and lots of fans around the world who don't have that opportunity and can't protest. But there are an awful lot of British United fans, particularly, who are shouting very loudly at people on the internet, and the point the point being you're shouting now we're losing. And Andy's saying, but I'm not convinced that you are going to... That will be backed up by, by direct action in a visible way that would actually harm the sort of brand image of United in, in a way that might affect the Glazers. Now, I mean, the, the easy way to sort of round this off is that realistically to make the Glazers sit up and take notice to affect any kind of change, it is going to take widespread 
protest. It's going to mean that fans don't attend games in the same numbers as they used to. And that is at Old Trafford and away from home. It is going to take sustained protest outside Old Trafford. It is going to take a lot of effort in order to actually affect a change on this thing. And realistically, the appetite across the fan base in particular, across the people who are there week in, week out, or consistently, is just not there. And that is the crux of the situation. It isn't. And I think that's partly a misunderstanding between people who aren't going to games regularly. I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but it's just understanding the psychology of United fans who actually are there and who are the most visible, especially when it comes to supporting the club week in, week out. And I think that is where the biggest gap is currently presenting itself. And that's why there is that disconnect. And maybe, you know, if there was any sort of um, organization to this protest and it wasn't just people who were trying to ask for donations and then, you know, storing the money up for a new iPad or something, (coughs) then that that might actually have some sort of course to it. But it doesn't at the minute. It just seems very faceless and disjointed. And until it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, Nothing is going to be achieved in this protest by abusing people. Nothing is, no, nothing is not. going to be achieved by insulting people who don't immediately accept everything you say on this matter. That's going to achieve nothing. And being an insulting bad brand Twitter account who sponsor United and just generally being incredibly odious, it, all it's going to do is turn people against us and turn fans against fans, which it already has. So any, any protest has to be organised, it has to be visible, and people, people ha- will have to make the effort... And it has to be conciliatory, not adversarial, because otherwise mm. we're going to, you know, we scuffer ourselves before we've started. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I think we pretty much covered everything we feel about that at the minute. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. Something like this needs to be looked at and analysed realistically in terms of what sort of effect it can actually achieve. So that's what we tried to do here this evening. If by any chance you actually disagree with any of this, then by all means uh, direct it to a non-existent email address. Uh, <laughs> anyway, talking about the last issue of the evening, I say last issue, the last discussion point we have for this evening, which would be players potentially going out. So I guess we'll say Paul Pogba for last because you know people love it when we do that. Let's chat David De Gea then, Rich. So new discussions today, or at least new reports today, suggest seem to be that we have offered him a deal worth £350,000 per week in an effort to try and get him to sign on for a new deal. Now, uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like United have got a gigantic appetite to replace him. And obviously, there is a large part of this that is driven by the fact that Alexis Sanchez was brought in on that really bad contract at the beginning of 2018, which is still biting us in the backside to this day. Now, uh, in terms of Sanchez, obviously, nothing's really happened with that because no one really wants to touch him with a barge pole, considering how much money it would actually cost to bring him over there, which quite frankly, is not much of a surprise. But in terms of De Gea, how do you see this one shaking out? I think that there's greater chance that he signs a new deal now than there was six or eight weeks ago. And I think, obviously, we don't know what he's thinking. But part of the, the reason I say that is because if you look at the the routes he's got out of United, really, realistically, this this summer, certainly, he was looking at Paris Saint-Germain, I think, because nobody else, none of the other elite clubs are in a position where they need to pay a large amount of money for a new goalkeeper and it since appears that PSG are looking elsewhere possibly at Donnarumma from AC Milan 
And the only other club that you could think might be interested in him would be Juventus. But not given the amount that they've spent in other areas, it likely wouldn't be this summer. And they are the arch picker-up of players on free transfers, pragmatists. So, But it feels like United have, 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 have watched De Gea get to the point where it's unlikely he's going to be able to get out this summer. And his options for next summer are actually quite limited as well. So we've taken that opportunity, that little window, to, to, to improve his terms a bit and see what comes out in the wash. Now, if we accept the stories that Mendes was in, in London meeting United this week to receive that proposal, then the very fact that he's travelled to take it, to receive it, suggests that the idea of De Gea re-signing again isn't completely precluded. So I think there's some potentially some optimism on that, that they might actually find a middle ground and... and, and and, and find a meeting point but it still wouldn't surprise me I, I mean I can't possibly see him going this summer but it still wouldn't surprise me if, if, if nothing happened and then he left before Juventus in a year's time yeah I mean I guess the thing with De Gea and we spoke a little bit about this on the season review pod uh, is that De Gea is at an interesting point in his career in the sense that since he joined United he's never had this pronounced dip in form in his career and I do wonder if leaving the club that the only club he's known since 2012 would be something of a wrench considering the support he's received and the backing that he's had throughout those seven years in terms of the fact that he's consistently been the club's number one apart from a couple of spots here and there and I would wonder if that would make him more apprehensive about actually making a move and I feel like this is actually more about making sure that he is compensated in the correct manner than it is actually about forcing the club's hand Mm. and leaving that's my kind of view on the situation. And then, you know, we'll move on to the next target now. So that's Romelu Lukaku. You know, there's been, again, consistent stories of linking him with the move uh, with Inter Milan and, you know, potentially a, uh, a meeting with Antonio Conte. Uh, I mean, this has been going on for weeks as well, where the problem seems to be happening when it comes to United. You know, the terms of the outside teams actually trying to buy our players is that United are being very very clear when it comes to their terms and teams are trying to fire a way around it and at the minute you can actually give the club some credit I'm not suggesting we give them too much calm down people but saying it more on the lines of United are asking for what 75 million pounds every single offer that Inter seems to have made if we believe reports seems to be rebuffed because they're not actually getting up to that valuation they keep offering players and United are thinking well Scrinio and Inter are going no so realistically who do we want from inter well at the minute icardi i'm no. um, not quite sure that would work no. and if if the, the the best deal that inter can come up with is a two-year loan deal with a obligation to buy then that doesn't necessarily seem to be going either you know it seems to just want cash and that's it which is a pretty good negotiating tactic you know if we stick to it and that's the big variable and I guess the thing with Lukaku that changes from most of these situations when we've had a saleable asset is that United don't seem to have a gigantic appetite to sell. This is more being driven from the players' discontent about being usurped for the number one position by Marcus Rashford than anything else. And I understand that completely. But if a situation ends up in a month's time when the window closes and we still have Lukaku, I can't necessarily see many United fans really having a problem with that. You know, he still can clearly provide us with something he still was scoring goals last year even when he wasn't necessarily playing his best football and you know if we end up in that situation then I'm not too sure I'll be that worried you know I'm sure that if he still wants to leave in 12 months then maybe someone else will come in for it if Inter can't raise the funds and that seems to be the big sticking point at the minute and that is the same with Pogba but you know in terms of Lukaku are you sort of on the same train of thought with that one? Yeah I think 
if you look at the again, we don't know exactly what United would intend to do if he if he left, but there seem to be some relatively reliable sources saying suggesting that we've we've agreed personal terms with with Ben Yedder from Sevilla, who had a very good season last year and and also has a relatively um, reachable release clause. I think it's about thirty eight million pounds which would then fit in with the idea that United don't want to have to wait two years for their money. They want at least a good portion of that Lukaku money up front because then it allows them to to divert it immediately to pay that release clause for a replacement. And I think United are doing the right thing in for both Pogba and Lukaku in refusing to let clubs take their players for less than they're worth because you know again you've you, they can't United can't really win they've had fans screaming at them because they just want to get these players who don't want to play for us anymore out the door and just sell them and move on but that's okay but it doesn't it doesn't really work out when you, they they're you're expected to buy high quality players to replace them and you've just given them away for 20 30 million less than they're worth you know I understand why Lukaku wants to go because he doesn't fit the the centre forward model that Solskjaer clearly prefers and and he doesn't have the physical capacity or the mobility to 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 really undertake the high press that Solskjaer likes and that that Rashford's a lot a lot better at but he does score goals you know ultimately United's a lot of United's failings last year came down to the fact that we just simply didn't create and it was very 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 difficult for any any forward in United to, to be really prolific last year. As someone pointed out, he, he started less games than Rashford last year, but scored three or four goals more. Lukaku will always score goals. He's not the best centre forward in the world. He's not the best technician in the world. But throughout his career, in teams that create chances, he scored goals. And if he goes to Inter, he'll score goals. United should not be giving him away for less than he's, or significantly less than he's worth, and without having a goal scorer in to replace him before he walks out the door so if we if we yeah. if he ended up staying it's not it's not the end of the world and i think the club are doing the right thing in making sure they get the right money for him if, if, they, if they're to let him go i mean i guess the last person to talk about tonight is pogba really isn't it i mean that was initially towards the end of the transfer uh sorry towards the end of last season that was the big story and at this point, we are on the 3rd of July. It seems to be something of a non-event. You know, obviously things can dramatically change between now and the start of the Premier League season. And we might be recording, well, we will be recording before the start of the season when we start playing Chelsea. And that's an interesting first fixture, followed by Wolves. Great. Really appreciative of that. Anyway, I guess the thing to mention with Pogba was that, you know, I think there was an expectation that he was going to make some agitations towards a move. And there was that uh, interview at the Adidas event where he openly stated maybe it's time for another challenge. That didn't really come as a massive shock. I can understand some people at the club might have been annoyed by that, but I don't think anyone who's been reading the situation over the last several years and the way things have panned out for him over his three years at United could be surprised by that outcome whatsoever. I think, again, the interesting thing is is that United are, from reports anyway, I think it was yesterday's marker that was saying that Real Madrid are very, very keen to sit down to United and discuss terms and even offer potentially Gareth Bale as part of a swap deal. But United are unilaterally refusing to enter talks with them, which, again, is absolutely what we should be doing. It's surprising. like That, that should be our approach when there's a player that we don't want to be selling. We don't want to enter talks. We don't want to get anywhere near discussions with any sort of club about actually transferring the player. And that might end up with a slightly pissed off Paul Pogba in a month's time. What that will actually do is give us a player who we know is our most creative midfielder, who we know can create and score goals for us, potentially one more season to get us back into the top four, maybe leave in 12 months time. 
wave goodbye and say it's been good but could have been a bit better <laughs> and just draw a line under it because you look at the way this season's going to have to pan out for Pogba he's not going to be wanting to arrive at Euro 2020 in poor form and not only that he doesn't want to arrive at a potential crossroads in his career four years into his United deal looking for a new club on the back of a crap season you know it's just not going to work out particularly well for him if he has a sulk and I don't necessarily think that is going to be the outcome if he doesn't end up getting a transfer this year you know I personally can't see it unfolding in any other way I mean I could be completely wrong you know we no one knows what's going to happen with transfers you know it's very difficult to judge there's always so much information flying around and always so many contradictions but my gut feeling at the minute is that it's not going to happen I'm not saying I I am the guiding light on this subject but personally the the pieces do not seem to be falling into place to make this happen especially because the later United leave it to complete a sale the more they're going to have to do in order to bring in replacements. And I don't see United planning for that at the minute. No. I had an interesting conversation with somebody yesterday and they, they reminded me of something that in that the um, the shirt sponsorship deal, we're just sort of entering the, the renegotiation period up at the end of the, the Chevy deal. And we'd expect something to be agreed on that at some point in the next 12 months or certainly by the end of next year. Now, <clears throat> We got a very, 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 very good deal with Chevy last time to the point where the guy who agreed it appeared to have been moved on very swiftly afterwards. And it's, I think it still remains the, the record annually for, for, for shirt sponsorship for that, that package that we've, that we've got. So it's going to be quite difficult to achieve that, that sum again next year or to beat it, given that nobody else has in the intervening period. As someone pointed out, we've got a guy like Pogba who is essentially the one commercially attractive player that United have got at the moment. There really isn't anybody else that, that, that has an enormous global appeal. And also United are in a position where they're not in the Champions League again and desperately, desperately need to get back in the top four next year for, for the Champions League money and also for prestige and appearances and, and, and just the value of their commercial deals. And so it was kind of suggested that, that perhaps United are sticking their heels in on Pogba because it just isn't the right the right time to sell him, both in a footballing sense at a time when we need to we need to improve, not get worse, and in a business sense, a time when we're trying to negotiate what is essentially the biggest commercial deal we do every decade. So, like as you said, you, we don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen in transfers, but it looks like United are completely digging their heels in at the moment and saying. Unless you can stump up an absolutely inordinate amount of money, we're just not interested in doing it. And they're in a strong position because there are essentially three years left on Pogba's contract, so we're not under any, any under any time pressure. Well, two with an option to extend. Yeah, but it's, it's it's essentially the same thing, isn't it? Because in in a, in a year's time, even though we'll have that year with another option, we're not we're not looking at losing him for a price which is relative to a player in the last year of his contract who can then leave as a free. The value of players tends to go down relative to where the contract is to where it, when it's going to expire. We don't stand to lose an enormous amount of money by not selling him this summer, but selling him next summer. And as you said, it makes there's a, there's a very good argument for saying, keep him this summer, add some better players around him, get back in the top four at a time when Arsenal have got 10p to spend and Chelsea can't, <laughs> Chelsea can't sign any players, then sell him from a position of strength ne- next summer with the with, where you've had the opportunity to plan how you're going to spend that money and really build from there. And at the moment, it would just, yeah. it seems like we'd just be weakening ourselves at a time when we need to be stronger. Yeah, I mean, 
I could be tempting fate in a major, major way here, but the way things have happened this summer, even I don't think United are that done as a Sal Pogba without any plan. That would be astronomical levels of complete ineptitude. And we're close to that, but we're not quite there. Hmm. Anyway, questions to run off the evening, Richard. The first one is actually from me. How incensed were you when Ashley Young turned up to training with a pack of Uno cards? Jesus, I, I, I was raging. Absolutely raging. The disrespect for his teammates, for the club, for the fans, for his teammates. I mean, who does he think he is? <laughs> and do you know what? This 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 little joke here leads us back to one of the one of the ringle- idiot ringleaders of the green and gold abusing people campaign, who 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 is also the person who made that absolutely f-ing ludicrous comment on Twitter. Oh God! I mean, of all the things to have a pop at that was just the most childish thing i have seen it's i mean this is twitter it? it's desperate oh it's just completely batshit just yeah. absolutely unnecessary and just such a massive reach like of all the things to have a go at a football player for bringing a pack of cards in for training like who cares it's, it's so true literally is that worried this is what this is what i was saying earlier about it's got to the point where some people will just because they want to appear like they're they're rebelling against whatever it is will just uh, uh, criticize absolutely everything that any united footballer does that anything the club does just because they think it it improves their own credibility or gets some attention or whatever else and that comment was just an absolute it was the it was the perfect example of that genre top rhetoric for the sake of it it. was anyway mighty mike your opinion of why from an outsider's perspective they don't think the glazers are that bad and what things have to happen to have a success a successful summer uh for a successful summer personally don't sell pogba and make sure he's actually willing to play for us next season that'd be a bonus Uh, two more midfielders and a center back that'd be all right i'd be happy with that yeah, that works. Um, why the Glazers are not that bad. I mean, they are not great. I mean, no. you know, bearing in mind they've sucked, what, £1 million out of the club, whilst billion. the club a couple miles down the road have, have added in a billion themselves, they are um, clear Trump supporters, which is, you know, it's not a great look, personally, from where I sit politically. It's enough. Anyway, <laughs> yes, exactly. Samurai Jack. Guys, can you please help me understand why Woodward has not activated the following release clauses? Alderweireld, £25 million. Zayech, 25 million. Ben Yedder, 35 million. Thomas Party, 44 million. Yuri Tielemans, 40 million. Uh, I mean, I answered this on Twitter already, mate, but it's because we're not in for them. No. Well, no. I <laughs> it's mean, it's pretty simple. I was, I was, I was chatting to someone about Alderweireld, and, and he's, he's, he's 30, I think. He's a, approaching 31. He's leaving. The basis of him leaving Spurs is essentially that they can't pay him enough. <clears throat> and he wants a big payday before he retires, which is fair enough. He's, you know, he's entitled to do that. But also, not only will he want big wages, he'll also want a relatively long contract. And are United in a place at the moment where we should be giving very big wages to a guy who's approaching 31 and essentially maybe giving him a four-year contract? Is that is that is that the way that we move forward as a club from here? And I can I can completely see the logic in, in getting Aldevara in principle because he's a relatively cheap deal he's got experience he's a good player but you, you can also see how the club are looking at it and thinking is that the way that we revitalize this club and move it forward away from the mistakes that we've made in the past and the answer is no i mean you would not. say no no i mean the amount of abuse they've received and in some quarters quite rightly so from extending contracts to the likes of valencia and young 
two converted wingers who have been our notable, you know, nominal wingbacks for the last several years, you would have thought that offering a contract to a 30-year-old player um, who will want big wages in order to move and wants some job security is probably not the best idea. So in that case, yeah, maybe it's not the worst plan in the world. Oh, also, Juan Mata got a new contract. I'm quite happy about that. That's good news. Right, last contract. So last question of the evening. I mean, unless you want to say something about Juan quickly. You have uh, 15 seconds. I'm perfectly happy for him to sign a new contract because he's, he's an ace guy and there's not a great deal of experience. And also, maybe Dave will stay. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah that was great. God, I should have been doing that years ago. It's yeah. perfect. And Rob, Bub- Rob Buckley, interested in hearing your thoughts on United's new sporting director or lack of. Remember, this was a key strategy announced by the chief executive. God, remember that? I completely yeah. forgotten about the technical director role. It's been soaked up by the transfer tsunami. I, God knows what's going on there. I mean, I guess I guess there was there was a point that if it wasn't made by if the point wasn't made by April May time, then it perhaps wasn't worth doing it anyway because it wouldn't bear to impact on this summer. But I think the way the club's dragging its heels is just a bit ridiculous. And it, it just from the outside, it may be different, but from the outside, it appears like the like the fact that the the Woodward and Judge and the Glazers don't want to delegate power to somebody else who will have a significant say over transfer policy um no no absolutely not which is an issue a big issue yeah well it's not like everyone involved has done a sterling job since they've received those job titles really is it so and you know obviously it's it's pointless leaking information to the press about how important it is and the club sees it and wants to update its transfer approach and its business approach to start talking about things like a, a director of football or anything along those lines if you're not going to follow through with it. And the club's had seven months. You know, this talk was coming out not long after Mourinho was sacked and Solskjaer was brought in. And nothing's happened. Nothing significant has happened anyway. They spent a long time sounding out potential candidates for the job, but nothing's happened. <laughs> you know, they, they, it seems like they're still in the process of figuring out what power would be delegated to this person and what it's actually going to signify. So forget it. I mean, it, it's it's frustrating, don't get me wrong, but I mean, who can legitimately be surprised that United started talking a big game about this new appointment and they just quietly let it fall by the wayside in amongst the transfer bullshit of this summer? It's just not a surprise to me at all. It, it's messy and don't get me wrong, I do not want Ed Woodward and Matt Judge in charge of transfers because I think unilaterally you can suggest that someone else with a bit more footballing now could do a better job but this is what we've got isn't it yeah, unfortunately it is yeah and i, I think rather, yeah. rather like the glazers is what we're stuck with for quite some time so well have you got any positivity to sort of end the after, the evening off with i was feeling more positive at the start of the podcast but it seems to have drained away from me in the last hour and 10 minutes yeah i'm gonna, funny I'm, that. I'm gonna go back to thinking yeah i'm going on holiday in a week's time and then when i come back i'll start worrying about it all after that so hopefully hopefully <laughs> in a couple of weeks time i'll, I'll come back to the UK and, and we'll have a few more players in the door and everything will be happy and we'll have played a couple of pre-season games and won comfortably and we can all pretend yeah. it's going to be okay again for another few months. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to really start worrying until the 1st of August, I think. Um, for the next several weeks, I'm just going to check Twitter every sort of 15, 20 minutes and just see if there's any new rumours or transfer stories and just strip my beard pensively and see how things go and offer those sort of very annoying aloof observations on the account because that's pretty much what i excel at really isn't it let's be honest that is your your best your best uh skill it is my forte, it is this your is forte anyway right. mate 
fifth season of doing this, Rich. Wow. I know. Good grief. I know. 2015 when we started doing this malarkey. Can you can you imagine it? I feel a lot older than I did 2015. So, yes. You look a lot older I than do, you I did. I do look a lot older than I did in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> but you, of course, doped. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm 32 now. So, I mean, I haven't had any extra kids in that interim period, but it feels like I have. <laughs> Anyway, Rich, let's round this off for the evening. Thanks cool. for your presence as always. No what a marvellous way to begin this new season of podcasting. Absolutely brilliant. Guys, thank you very much for joining us again for this season. We hope you've enjoyed this first taste of what the 2019-20 season has to come. And don't forget, if you have enjoyed it, then you can always let us know on Twitter. You can let the count know at Red Voices MUFC. You can let me know at, at you and Lennit, And you can get Rich know at rich red voices have yourselves a superb next couple of weeks we'll be back before the actual season kicks off i guess take care in that meantime i'm trying to get too wound up about transfers you know i mean i'm speaking from experience it's not the greatest look <laughs> take care bye